Welcome to Emmanuel. Good morning. How's everybody feeling? Pretty good? I often don't do this, but uh, wasn't that just an incredible worship set? Uh, can we just give God glory for, for our team? Fantastic job. Sometimes I, you know, I sit in the front row down here so I can, I can see their fingers moving, and I can see all the things that they're doing, and I'm just like, how are they doing that? It's, it just really is mind-boggling that, that people can play music like that, so uh, just tr- truly amazing, but uh, all glory to God. So hey, if you're a first-time guest with us here today, I uh, want to welcome you. My name's Danny, and uh, we have been praying for you. Uh, we've put these seats in here for you, and we are hoping that uh, the experience is uh, so good that you'll say, hey, I liked it. I'd like to come back next week and, uh, and check, out, check it out uh, in a further way. So uh, we're in a series right now called Peace. We love Christmas around here. We celebrate all month long, four weeks in a row. And so last week we started this series off by simply saying, if you weren't here, we simply said that, that, that Christmas is about revealing God's way of revealing peace for us, the path towards peace. And we started talking about this idea that, that, that Christmas can give us inner peace, peace within ourselves, true rest of soul. And, and we said that that peace is rooted in the greatness of God, that because God is great, because he is all-powerful and almighty and all-wise, and he's the, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he keeps the earth spinning on its axis, spinning at, you know, a thousand miles an hour and, and, and 18 miles a second around the sun. It's, it's quite fascinating that he keeps all of that together, that because God is great, we can have peace. Now, if he's not great, we're all in, in some serious trouble. Don't you agree? We got ISIS out there chopping people's heads off. We got all kinds of stuff going on in the world. Like, if God is not great, if he's not in control, if he's not sovereign, if he doesn't allow certain things to happen, it all works together in his plan, we all have reasons to stay up at night and lose sleep. But if he's great, if he's powerful, if he's got it all under control and it's all working together for our good, we can have peace. And therefore, when we pray, when we let our request be made known to him, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he is great. And we've told him about the situation and we can trust his heart, right? And so then we talked about this idea of paying attention to his presence because if he is great and I know that he's with me and you know that he's with you 24-7, that's going to bring some serious peace. Don't you agree? In Psalm 23, the psalmist said, David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, come on, a little bit louder, I will fear no Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, I can have peace and you can have peace because this great God who created the heavens and the earth is with me. His presence is with me. And so my job and your job is to become aware of his presence and to walk with him every single day. And if we know that he's with us, we can have that peace. And so that was the challenge last week. Now, I'll shut up about that. Is that okay? So if you missed it, go back, check it out on the podcast. You'll love it, I think, and it'll be a blessing to you. Today, what are we talking about? Well, I want to talk about peace again. How about that? That'd be fun. We're going to talk about how Christmas brings us peace. Hey, have you ever noticed that when you're at odds with people in your life, you don't have a lot of peace? When, I mean, when there's conflict between you and a significant other, a friend, a spouse, a child, a teenager, <clears throat> a toddler, <laughs> there's not a lot of peace in your life. There's friction. Have you noticed that? Yes or no? Yeah. Our relationships really have a lot to do with our peace levels, our rest of soul. In fact, last week I began talking to you about David and how his closest companion, Ahithophel, rebelled against him, joined his son Absalom to try to overthrow the kingdom. 
And David was in anguish about this. What I didn't show you last week is what he actually said about this in Psalm 55. Listen to this. It's not an enemy who taunts me. If it were, I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could hide from them. Listen to what he says. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and my what? My close friend, my buddy, my, the, my inner, one of the guys in my inner circle betrayed me. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. This is a guy that David went to the temple with, that David went to church with, that he worshiped God with, and this guy betrayed him. And that's where all of this turmoil came from in David's life. See, it's very difficult to have peace, rest of soul, when we're in conflict with the people in our lives. People do crazy things to one another, don't they? Hurtful things, they say hurtful things, mean things, steal, cheat, manipulate, lie. You ever have somebody close to you hurt you? Yes or no? Happens to us, doesn't it? You know, the other day I, was, I dropped my son off from school and, and I was on my way to uh, do a quick workout. It's about 7.15 in the morning and I was on uh, Morgantown Road getting ready to hit the, the roundabout on Fairview. You know where I'm at? You with me, those of you? And so, yeah, I love roundabouts because they really work well when they're working well. But when they don't work well, they're frustrating. And so, you know, I'm, I grew up in New York, so I'm a, I know how to drive a little bit aggressive. I try not to, but I learned how to drive there when I was 17. So, you know, I freak my wife out sometimes when I'm driving. And so I have to chill out. You know, we're in Greenwood. We're not in the city. Anyway, so I, I love roundabouts when everybody obeys the yield sign. I mean, I love it. See, the yield sign triangle, it doesn't mean stop. It means slow down. It means to look to your right and see if there's anybody that's getting ready to enter the circle. And if they're there before you, you know, you yield to them. Now, listen, I'm not an expert in roundabouts, so I may be wrong. And some of you may send an email to me later saying, you're wrong. Because I know some of you love to correct the pastor. <laughs> it's just a thing. I get emails every week. No problem. So, and I need it. Hey, I need to be corrected because I'm not always right. But anyway, so my opinion about the roundabout is that, is that if, there's a, if there's some cars that are stopped, Remember, it's not a stop sign. My opinion is that the other traffic should not keep the foot on the gas and just kind of follow through the line so that this section over here is backed up and all the cars are stopped. You're supposed to approach the circle and, what? Yield. Now again, I may be wrong. So I'm watching this and, it's, and all of a sudden I'm stopped and I'm like, I shouldn't be stopped in the roundabout, at the roundabout. This is wrong, it ticks me off. And so I'm watching this, this line of cars just, just hitting the gas. They're not even slowing down. There's just a, na a flow of traffic. I'm like, I ain't having it. <laughs> so I saw a little opening, a little opening there, and I hit the gas, and I cut this dude off. I'll tell you why I know it was a dude in a second, because it was still dark outside. But, so I pull in front of him, and, and, and he, you know, he slams on his brakes and bait, you know, hits his horn. And I'm like, well, you didn't yield. So, so, so... <laughs> So I pull on the Fairview, and now I'm on my way, you know, I'm up there, and all of a sudden, he's on my tail, and he's giving me the brights, and he's just right on my bumper, and he's just flashing. Then he puts his blinker sign on, which, ladies, you don't know what that means. And the reason this, this is, girls don't do this stuff, so I know this is a dude behind me. So what the blinker sign means, pull over, let's fight. That's what the blinker sign means. So now you know. So now I'm on Fairview, I'm like, game on, dude, where's the next turn? Because I'm going to fight this dude. <laughs> and I'm looking for a place to pull over, and all, and all of a sudden, like, I, 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 this, this, I have this moment of clarity. It's like, I hear God say, you're a pastor. 
And then I have this other thought, you know, I'm on my way to the gym, and I know what the guys in the gym look like. I'm just like, he's probably bigger than you, and he could probably crush you. Just keep driving. <laughs> so thankfully, I, I, I kept going, and, and I was praying that he would turn right, and he turned right, and it, and it was all over. But I, listen, I stole his piece away from him. He stole my piece away from me, and I was all jumped up and started, you know, all this. People do crazy stuff, me included. It's very difficult to be at peace with people. The, the, you know, the person in the cubicle next to you and, and, and the, the, the boss that, that abuses his power or, or, or a spouse who just continues to do things that aggravate you. It's, it's difficult to be at peace with people because we do crazy stuff. My question today is, does the Christmas story, this baby who comes into the world, uh, this, this God in, a, in the form of a baby, it's, which is incredible that he would humble himself enough to do that, can he help us find peace not just within ourselves, but with the people in our lives? I believe the answer is yes. Let's go to the story real quick, and I'm going to read, you know, the famous part of the story, and then I want to highlight one particular verse. In Luke chapter 2, it says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. I would too if I saw an angel from heaven. They're majestic. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We just got done singing that, right? We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying these words, Glory to God in the highest. And say it with me, Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Why do the angels, why do they say peace? Why not salvation? Why not joy? Why not redemption? Why not something like that? Why do they say peace? Here's why. Because the Christmas story is all about peace coming into the world. That God reveals to us the path of peace. Peace with himself being reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Peace within, rest of soul, because God is great, but also also, and this is what we want to talk about today, peace between me and you. Peace between you and your spouse. Peace between you and a best friend. Peace between a sibling that you've been at odds, at, odds with. Peace between two states. Peace between two countries. Who lives on earth? We do. See, the Christmas story, if people would stop and listen to it and, 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 and look at the truth of it, they would find the path to peace. How does this baby bring peace to us so that we can experience peace with each other? Well, there's one, there's one word that answers that question, and it's this word, love. Love. See, love is what creates and sustains peace in any relationship. And what this baby brings into the world, this savior brings into this world, is love. Love creates and sustains peace in any relationship. Because, here's why, because love is doing what is best for another person. That's what love is. Love is a, a decision that I will do what is best for you and that you will do what is best for me. That's what love is. A lot of people today think that love is an emotion and love is a feeling. I would say you're dead wrong. A lot of people say, well, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. We have fallen out of love. I would say that that's hogwash. 
I would say that that's Hollywood's definition of love. That love is a feeling and love is an emotion. Love isn't necessarily a feeling or an emotion. It's a, it's a decision to do what is best for another person. That's what it is. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at the Bible. Let's look at it. First John chapter 4. Check this out. This is how God showed what? Love for us. What did he do? He sent. He acted. He took the initiative. And he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, what, what you and I needed most, what was best for us, was Jesus Christ. See, we needed forgiveness. We needed redemption. We needed, to be, we needed to be reconciled back to God. So God loved us enough to do what is best for us, which was sending his son. That's what love is. Now, if God has emotions and feelings for us, which I'm sure he does, that's awesome. That's great. Sometimes, as a good, any good father would be, he's happy with us, and sometimes he's frustrated with us. Do you agree with this? Right? Feelings come and go, but love is a choice to do what is best for another person. That's what love is. Now, if you had two parties that were, that were committed to doing what is best for the other person, do you think that eventually you would have peace, yes or no? I mean, think about that. A husband and a wife that's just simply saying, I'm going to do what is best for you. Not for me, but what is best for you. And then the spouse returns the favor and says, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to simply decide to do what is best for you. See, if you're married today, you know that feelings come and go, yes or no. <laughs> you know that there are many days that uh, you don't like your spouse. Is that true? Because of something they've done? In fact, there have been times where my wife and I have basically said to each other, I love you right now, but I'm not, I don't like you very much. <laughs> I frustrated her, or she's frustrated me, or something like that. Most of the time, it's me frustrating her. <laughs> But the decision is always there to say, I will do what is best for you. I will not do something that harms you. I will do what is best for you. That's what love is. One day Jesus was teaching, and, and somebody overheard him answering questions, and, and it was a religious leader, and they said, okay, Jesus, you know, what's, the, what's the, the, the number one commandment? What's the first, the first and most important commandment? Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he added something to it. Now, the guy didn't ask the question, what's the, what's the top two commandments? He just said, what's the number one commandment? Jesus gives them two. Watch the second one. Watch this. The second one is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. Why does he give them two commandments? Here's why. Because he knows that if you and I are going to experience any type of peace on earth, love is the answer. Love is the answer. You see, this love, this love is not for, for humanity in general, right? That for me to say that I love all of you is not a very significant statement. I'm your pastor and I love all of you. Well, you would say, well, that's, that's kind of like loving a crowd. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Don't love the crowd. He's saying love your, your neighbor, your nighbor. You know what that means? The person is nigh to you. They're close to you. They're in proximity to you. They live in your house. Uh-oh. Some of you are like, I gotta love my spouse? Yes. You have to do what is best for you, but I don't feel like it. I know it's not a feeling, it's a choice. Ah, I don't like this preacher. I don't like this church. Listen, I, it's not about liking, it's, it's what's, what the truth is. Love your nighbor, the, the, the child that, that lives in your house. Yeah, that one. 
The guy in the cubicle next to you who's really obnoxious and loud on the phone, that guy. The, the, the one who in the office who, who, who exaggerates and talks about the boss behind, behind closed doors. That, that girl, that guy. Oh, that's hard, I know. These people, people are, people are hard to love sometimes. Do you agree with this? Jesus says, well, if you want to have a chance for peace, you have to love your nibor. See, Jesus knows, he knew that people would be very frustrating to us. In fact, he's actually quoting a verse from Leviticus chapter 19, and he only quotes half the verse. Let me show you the whole verse that Jesus was quoting from. Watch this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against your fellow Israelite or your nibor, one who's close to you, lives with you. But instead of holding a grudge or seeking revenge, here's what I want you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where he's quoting from. Jesus knows and assumes that the people who are in proximity of your life, they're going to be like a porcupine. When they get close to you, they're going to poke you. <laughs> they're going to hurt you because they got a fallen sinful nature and they're selfish and they only want to cover their own tail and all the other things that are wrong with human beings. He knows that when you get close to people, they're going to hurt you and your temptation is going to be to get back at them and to hold a grudge and be bitter and be resentful towards them. Don't do that, he says. Instead, if you want to have peace in your life, love your neighbor as yourself. And what is love? What does that mean? It means to do what is best for them, to do what they need most. And you know what that's most of, most of the time, you know what that's going to be? To show them grace and to show them mercy. Well, how do I do that? Well, how do you love yourself? That's the commitment. As yourself. Well, do you show yourself grace and mercy when you screw up? Yes or no? Come on. Yes or no? Do you let yourself off the hook a lot when you screw up? Yes or no? Yeah, you do, right? So, hey, do that for them. In fact, the golden rule, the golden rule, which, which, which is famous, of course, you know, Jesus actually said it, for those of you who didn't know that, um, in Mark chapter 7, it comes from Jesus, do to others as you wish they, they would do for you. You know what that is? That's, that's love in action. See, what I want you to do for me, check this out, I want you to do what's best for me. I do. I f that man would make me feel great. If you would know what is best for me, and then you did it, that would make me feel really awesome. Jesus says, okay, if that's how you feel, if that's what you'd like, then do that to other people. Do what is best for them. That is what love looks like. It is an action. It is a decision. It is not an emotion. If you happen to have emotions and feelings, that's icing on the cake. But that's not the cake itself. If you and I want a chance to have peace with people in our life, we have to do what is the best for them. We have to love them. And that one decision will ensure peace most of the time. But Jesus knows it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. In fact, some of you are sitting here thinking, dude, you're smoking crack. I mean, there's, like, you don't know what this dude did to me. Like, I was getting ready to enter into the, the roundabout, and he cut me off. I'm not going to love on that guy. I'm going to punch that guy in the face. See, I, I know. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Some of you have gone through extraordinary pain. Some of you have had people do terrible things to you, hurt you deeply, or hurt people that you love deeply. I understand. And, and relationships don't always work out. Business partnerships don't always work out. I understand that. But, but even though it's hard, in your notes, even though it's hard, we are still called to peace. Like, just because something happened and it was difficult doesn't mean we can say, oh, I'm cutting you off. We don't have that option as Christ's followers. Why? Because we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and love says, I'm going to do what is best for you. 
Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. If possible, now this one phrase reveals to us it's not always possible. But if it's possible, here's what I want you to do. So far as it depends on the other person. Is that what it says? What does it say? As far as it depends on you. You know, I talk to, I talk to a lot of people about their problems because that's just what pastors do. And I'm telling you, like 90% of the time, people say, well, I got this problem. And you're not going to believe what he did. And you're not going to believe what she did. And if she would just change her ways, and if he would just change his ways, then we could have some peace. <laughs> and I always push back and say, no, wait a second. You can't control his behavior. You can't control her behavior. You know, who, you know whose behavior you can control? Yours. You can do certain things. You, you can't control them. So here's what God says. If it's possible, as far as it depends on, say it with me, you live peaceably with all people. What does that mean? You must choose to do what is best for the other person. Whatever they decide to do, that's up to them. That's between them and God. You're not going to hold them accountable at the end of their life. They will, they will stand before God and give account of their lives, not, not you. But you will stand before God and be held accountable for what you did. Did you choose to love your neighbor as yourself? Did you do everything you possibly could to be at peace with that other person? That's what God will ask you. Well, no, I held a grudge. I just, I, I was so resentful I couldn't make the phone call. I couldn't. I, I plotted to get back at them. That's, what, that's the option that God says we don't have. This is so important that when, one time Jesus was teaching about anger and he brought worship into the whole scenario to kind of show how important peace is. In Matthew chapter five, listen to this. Jesus said, if, if, so if you're at the, uh, the, the temple presenting a sacrifice, which was the way that they worshiped back then, it would be like going to church. So basically saying, so if you're at church and then you suddenly realize that, or remember that someone has something against you, like you're in conflict with somebody, here's what I want you to do. Leave church. Leave church. Stop worshiping. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go first and be reconciled to that person. And then after you have made peace with that person, here's what I want you to do. Come back to church. Some of you need to get up right now and leave church because you're at odds with somebody. And God says, what's the point? Why come here and try to love on me and worship me when inside you're plotting revenge and you have a grudge and you're full of anger. You can't worship me with a heart like that. Get out of here, he would say. Go, go, as far as it depends on you, make peace and then come back. It might not work out, but if possible, try to do what is best for that person and then come back when your heart is clean and pure and worship me. See, there are some relationships that are not going to work out. There are some business partnerships that are not going to work out. In fact, when sometimes in a marriage uh, uh, situation where there's, it's just toxic and, and one spouse is, beha is behaving in ways that are just absolutely unacceptable, I will counsel a marriage couple to separate, like live in separate quarters. I don't advocate divorce, but I do advocate separation to get things worked out, and then when things get worked out, to come back together once the transformation and the healing takes place. 
But sometimes that doesn't happen because one person is not willing to do what it takes to change. You with me? Anybody ever been there? As far as it depends on you, you're willing. But this person over here is not willing to do what it takes to change. What are you going to do? You're be, Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. You must choose to do what is good for that other person. What they do, you can't control. But you will be held accountable for your actions. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we create this peace in our life? How does it actually happen? Well, it's very simple. In your notes there, you and I must choose to love. That, I mean, it's very simple. We have to make that choice. We can't wait for feelings. We can't wait for emotions. We can't wait for romance. We can't wait for the other person to change. We say, I will choose to do what is best for you. And in the long run, I'm betting that that will produce peace in my life. Now, I have to admit something here. Doing what is best for someone, sometimes in the short term, some of, you, some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about, in the short term does not produce peace. When you gotta talk to your teenager about something that they've done wrong, uh-oh, you're not, that's not a very peaceful situation. But you love them and you know that what's best for them is that you address the issue, so in the short term, there's conflict. But in the long term, when your teenager gets a mind, you know, when they, when they you know what I'm talking about? When they actually get a clue, they're gonna circle back with you and say, Thank you for talking to me when I had no brain. <laughs> I know it was tense in that moment, and I hated you when you did it, but now I see that you did it because you love me. See, that's why as parents, we don't, we don't want to engage our kids because we're afraid of the initial conflict. That's why some of us husbands, we don't engage with our wives because we know if we speak up, there's gonna, initially, there's going to be some tension, and so we like we back up. We, you know, we put a skirt on and we sit down. <laughs> you got to put your big boy pants on sometimes, husbands, and say, hey, honey, we got to talk about this. And initially, there's going to be some conflict. But in the long run, in the long run, what's going to happen is your wife is going to say, wow, you did that because you wanted what was best for us, what was best for me. Yes, yes. This is a long-term thing. This isn't, relationships aren't a one-and-done thing. You cannot just do this today. Well, I choose to love my neighbor as myself today and expect to have peace tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. This is a long journey. You, you with me? Yes or no? Now, for some of you, you're sitting here, you're thinking, why ain't doing it? I know the type. Arms crossed. I know what you're saying. I believe it, but I ain't doing it. Okay, okay. That's, that's one response. Let me just challenge you to check yourself. You ever just check yourself? What I mean, what I mean by that is just say, am I wrong? I could be wrong here. Just check yourself. Listen, listen to what the Bible says, 1 John 4. Anyone who chooses not to love does not know God. Wow, that's all I need to hear. That's all, I, the Bible says, if you choose to get revenge, hold the grudge, build resentment, let the bitterness stay. If you choose to do that, you might not know God. Like, he might not live in you. Like, you might not be a child of God. You might not be a disciple. You might not be born again. The que There's a big question mark on, on your whole salvation if you're simply saying, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not gonna love. I'm not gonna choose to do what's best for that person. I hate that person. Okay, okay, I'm just saying. You might be, you might be saying, I'm not a Christian. Because why? Because God is love, and if he lives in you, how can his love not flow out from you into that person's life? 
You with me? This is, you have to check yourself. Do I even know God? I don't even feel his love flowing through me into the people's life and the lives around me. Now, I have, to, I have to say that stuff. That's not fun to say, but that's just, just reality. Like we have, we, even though it's hard, we don't have the option not to love the people in our life. Love is what creates and sustains peace in any relationship. The Christmas story is a story of God, this baby coming in the world filled with love, eventually becoming a man at the age of 30-something years old, stretching out his arms as we just got done singing about dying on a cross so that you and I can have peace. He doesn't force it on us. He doesn't demand that we do it. It's gentle. It's careful. So I have two questions for you as I close. Two questions. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to love? Who's that person? Is it your spouse? Is it a coworker? Is it a brother or a sister, a sibling? Who do you need to love? And number two, what do you need to do? God sent his son. Love is doing what is best for another. What action do you need to take? Do you need to call them? I just talked to a guy the first service. He said, you know what? I, have, I had a business partnership six months ago to go down the drain. We haven't talked in six months. It was, it was a blow-up. It was explosive. I called him this week to say, hey, let's grab lunch. And he told me right down here just a few moments ago, he told me, he said, I'm just going to tell him the things that I did wrong in the relationship, and I'm going to ask if we, can, if we can make this up, make it right. I said, man, that's awesome. That's exactly what I'm saying. What do you need to do? Do you need to have a lunch? Do you need to just listen to a person? Do you need to encourage somebody? What action do you, because love is doing what is best. What do they need most? What happens is, over the long haul, as you take those actions, your life will be flooded with peace because it's impossible for it not to. Over the long haul, you get two people just doing what is best for one another. It just, it just creates this rhythm of positivity and love. I, I, I'm here to tell you, like, our marriage is not perfect. My wife is sitting right here. We can tell you all the things that we screw up on and mess up. But I tell you what, we have high peace levels because she knows I'm committed to do what is best for her. And, and, and I know she's committed to do what is best for me. And so there's this, this revolving back and forth of positivity going back and forth. It's a beautiful thing. And you can have that in any relationship over the long haul. As I said just a moment ago, Christmas is the story of God revealing love to us through this baby. It is gentle. He doesn't force his way into our life. It's an offer that he makes to us. I want you to reflect on that, and then I'll come back up here and close this out.
Christmas is a story of God doing what we needed most, doing what was best for us. The Bible says that God revealed his love to us by sending his son into this world that we might have life through him. Our greatest need was forgiveness. Our greatest need was peace with God. So this baby that comes in the world that was born in a manger, not a hospital, would grow up to stretch out his arms on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sin and mine so that we could have peace with God, so that we can be reconciled, so that you can have life in him. That's a gift. It's the gift of Christmas. It's the gift of eternal life. And as you would receive any other gift on Christmas morning, and we're gonna exchange gifts here in a little while, a couple weeks, a couple days, whatever. You don't earn a gift 
You don't do 100 push-ups for a gift. You just receive the gift, and you open it up, and you say thank you. It works the same way with the gift of eternal life. You open up your hands, and by faith, you receive the gift, and you open it up, and you say thank you. You do that by putting your faith and confidence and your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith right now. And if you'd like to open that gift, if you'd like to receive that gift, if you'd like to have life in Jesus Christ, just reach out to him in faith. Put your confidence in him and trust him. And you'll have peace with God. If you'd like to pray that prayer with me, just bow your head and close your eyes. This is a prayer God loves, loves to answer. This moment is created just for you. Say this to him right now. Dear Jesus, I trust you. I believe you came into this world to provide life and peace for me. I put my trust and my confidence in you as the Savior. I believe you died on the cross. You rose again that I might have peace with you. Wash away all my sin. Cleanse me. Forgive me. And make me your child. And help me from this day forward to love you with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. Finding peace in that love. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Real quick before we get out of here, if you just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, if you just did that, if you reached out to him in faith, our church would love to put a one-year New Testament in your hands as a free gift to us. And here's why. When I was 17 years old, um, I prayed that prayer. And I went, to, I went to a church, and I had an older, wiser gentleman pull me aside. And he simply said to me, very simply put, he said, hey, now that you're a Christ follower, I want to challenge you to take up the Word of God and read a little bit every day, five, ten minutes. And here's what will happen. God will show you his heart. God will show you what his will is. He'll show you what needs to change in your heart. He'll show you what his heart is like, what he wants to do in the world and in your life. And I was like, okay, you know I don't. And so I did. I began reading. I I used to have to take a, a bus to a boat to a train every day and then home, a train to a boat and a bus in New York City. And and in between those little parts, I would read the little Gideon's Bible, you know, those little green ones. And I began to learn God's heart. I began to learn what I needed to change. I began to learn what he wanted to do in my life and in other people's lives. And so I'm just going to pass that same advice on to you. If you prayed to receive Christ today, go grab one of these. It's a free gift from us to you. You can get it in the back of the auditorium. Some people put that in your hands. Can we give God glory today for what he's done? Hey, next week we are going to dive deeper into this whole idea of what it looks like to be at peace with other people. I'm going to be getting real practical. So if you've got some friends some coworkers, some family members that, that have written off God as boring, judgmental, irrelevant. They don't come to church. They're going to get something extraordinarily practical next week. They're going to see the connection between Christmas and their life in a big way. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring your friends. Let's pack this place out. Let's pray real quick. God, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Your word says that you are great and that you are to be greatly praised because you are worthy of all glory and all honor. 
The angels in heaven say, Thou art worthy, our Lord, just to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. And so we, re- we, we agree with that. You're a God who is worthy of praise. I hope that you are pleased today by everything that was sang, everything that was said, the, the offering that was given. God, I just hope that, that today brought a smile to your face. It's, you are the reason we're here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. We will see you next week. Bring a friend.